0: Hello and welcome to Fantastic Fights, the podcast about a middle-aged wastrel playing adventure gamebooks out loud. My name is H.J. Doom and this episode is one I've been looking forward to since I started this silly podcast because we're playing Freeway Fighter, fighting fantasy book 13, which was a personal favourite as a child. Before we get into the meat of the episode, I'm hoping very much to get a bonus episode out later this month. It's what I'm also excited by because it involves Arthurian adventures in Avalon. Irregular bonus episodes are made possible because a few people are generous enough to support me on Patreon. If you'd like to obligate me to continue doing additional content, or you'd like to help me buy socks and other little essentials, then you can do so by going to patreon.com slash hjdoom and pledging as little as one English pound. No worries if you can't, but any and all support is gratefully received as I am perpetually skint. Freeway Fighter was written by Ian Livingstone and illustrated by Kevin Bulmer with oddly terrible cover art by Jim Burns. It was first released in 1985 by Puffin Books. Let's get into it. I have created my character for Freeway Fighter, and I've called them Dunk Lumbago. So um, they have a skill of 11, stamina of 21, and a luck of 12. This being the dystopian future, we no longer heal our wounds by cramming food into ourselves, and instead we get 10 medkits, and we're warned that we might need to barter with those medkits as well. Uh, We also get 200 credits, which are apparently the currency of the 21st century. Now, in addition to Dunk Lumbago's stats, we've also got stats for their car, uh, because this is a game in which vehicle combat plays a part. So uh, there's firepower, which goes from 7 to 12, like skill. My car's firepower is 11, and armour, which is 2d6 plus 24, and mine is 34, and a bunch of other bits and pieces for the car, such as rockets, of which I have four, iron spike canisters, which I have three, oil sprays, I've got two of those, a couple of spare wheels, and a full tank of gas. So there's lots of sort of Wacky Races-style tricks and traps to be deployed against people who try and chase me in my vehicle. There's a couple of slight wrinkles to the combat system. So hand-to-hand fighting has rules for unarmed combat, which just means you only do a single point of stamina damage. Uh, But handheld weapons cause additional points of damage, which may be specified by weapon. Also in hand-to-hand combat, if you lose six stamina points, you will be knocked out, which is kind of cool. Uh, Obviously, if your stamina is reduced to zero, you will be dead as normal, but yeah, six stamina points and you can get knocked out, which I think is a great, great little rule. Uh, Shooting works exactly the same as hand-to-hand combat, except that you can do 1d6 damage rather than just 1 to 2 damage. Vehicle combat is exactly the same, except you're using firepower instead of skill, also doing 1d6 damage. And... That would appear to be that. So let's jump into the extremely on-the-nose opening paragraphs. The News Bulletin. Dateline, 21st of July, 2022. The disaster happened just at a time when the world was beginning to enjoy itself. Nobody could have predicted such a catastrophe. World War III had been averted and the power blocks of East and West were now working towards world peace and unity. Revolutionary farming techniques had all but eradicated hunger, and increased mobility had led people's greater understanding of one another. The morning of 21st of July 2022 had started just like any other. It was going to be a hot day all round the world, apparently. And the news on the Holovision was good. The government spokesman, proudly announced that solar energy now powered 90% of homes and 70% of industry. A three-day working week was now the norm, and England was to play United States in the soccer finals of the World Cup in Sydney. However, there were only hours to go before the beginnings of the collapse of civilization. Later that day, an unknown disease broke out in New York. Too soon? Is it too soon for viral contagion stories? I we'll go with it. Later that day, an unknown disease broke out in New York and spread with such devastating speed and fatality that before the government and scientists realised what was happening, half the population was dead. The disease spread throughout the world carried by aeroplane passengers and decimated population centres everywhere. All attempts at quarantine were useless. Yeah, this is a bit on the nose for these times in which we live, isn't it? Four days after the outbreak, 85% of the world's population were dead. Communications, essential services, transport and administration had broken down completely. Kind of like being under a Tory government, isn't it, really? There was no one left to try and find the cause of the outbreak. It might have been a mutated virus or some lethal germ unknowingly released from a chemical warfare laboratory. It was mere speculation and nobody really cared, as survival was the top priority. The speed with which civilization fell into ruins was frightening. Most survivors didn't know why they still lived, and didn't know how to go on living. Brute force became the law. Riots, looting, destruction and drunkenness were commonplace. That is kind of like what Northampton is like now. People would even kill for a can of beans. Large cities were soon abandoned due to a lack of food and the risk of disease. Six months after the disaster, there remained two kinds of people. Those who wanted order again, and those who reveled in the disorder. The former grouped themselves into small towns and built defences around them. Inside, they appointed leaders and began the task of self-sufficiency. These fortress towns became homes of the military, farmers, doctors, and people concerned with the rebuilding of civilization. The other group lived a wild and brutal existence outside. They were the new barbarians, roaming the land in cycle or car gangs. They terrorized or wiped out any small pockets of civilization they came across. I like the idea that you can either be in a cycle gang or a car gang but you can't mix the two, that that is in some weird cultural way completely forbidden. You are one of the lucky survivors living in a fortress town, which has been named New Hope. You are working on the design of an early warning system to protect the town when you hear a knock at your door. It is two members of the town council. They look very excited. They tell you that their radio has just picked up a message from a fortified oil refinery near San Anglo in the south. The people there are willing to exchange 10,000 litres of petrol for grain and seeds to improve their food production. The inhabitants of New Hope could certainly use the petrol for generators and agricultural machinery. Being offered 10,000 litres of this rare commodity is too good an opportunity to miss, especially as there are surplus stocks of grain and seed. The council have agreed to the deal and are now looking for someone to undertake the journey to San Anglo to deliver the sacks and drive the petrol tanker back to New Hope. It will be a long and dangerous journey through lawless country. The two men tell you that they think you are the best trained person to undertake such a mission and ask if you would like to volunteer. get the impression it's phrased like a question, but it's not really a question. They tell you that a Dodge Interceptor will be prepared for the journey. It will be fitted with machine guns, radio, roof-mounted rocket launcher, rambars, loudspeaker, various defences including rear oil spray, tyre-shredding spikes, armour plating and bulletproof windows. You do not need convincing as the benefit to new hope will be enormous. This pioneer journey might be the start of a link between the new societies trying to bring about civilisation if you succeed. You tell them that you will do the job and begin your preparations immediately. Over the next two days, you supervise the modifications to the Interceptor. When it is finally ready, it looks like a battle car. Probably because it is a battle car. You check it one last time to ensure that the weapons work and that all your equipment has been packed away in the various compartments. You run through the checklist, map, flashlight, medkit, compass, food, water full fuel canister, two spare wheels, flat U-fix, instant puncture repair, and tools. Finally, you put on the shoulder holster for your revolver and leather jacket which carries your bullets and knife. Satisfied that you are ready, you climb into the driver's seat, peering through the narrow steel slit that is now your windscreen, you see the town's population gathered to wave you goodbye. You start up the engine of the Interceptor and crawl forward to the gates leading to the outside world. It is over a year since you last ventured beyond the walls of New Hope, and you are excited at the prospect of what you will find. Now, turn over. So we have a nice uh, full-page illustration showing two different views of our tricked-out Dodge Interceptor, and he does look, I have to say, pretty cool with the wheel spikes, and you can see the uh, machine guns and all the rest. But it still looks very much like a flashy sports car as well. Yeah, it looks pretty cool. I don't know anything about cars beyond what they look like. I've never learned to drive. So all I can judge on is aesthetics. And yeah, this is a sweet piece of kit. The first thing to strike you as you cruise along the road is the speed with which everything has fallen into decay. You hadn't realised how much maintenance was needed to support civilization. All around, buildings are falling into ruin. Abandoned cars litter the roads in rusted disarray. Grass and weeds have grown rampant everywhere, with nobody to hold them back, and packs of dogs and other wild animals roam freely. You stop at a small town some 15 kilometres from New Hope and switch off your engine. Suddenly, it is deathly silent apart from the eerie howl of a dog somewhere down the street. You are tempted to get out of the car to explore, but realise that this is an unnecessary risk. You are about to start your engine again, when suddenly, the sound of a shotgun breaks the silence. Do you want to get out of the car to investigate, or drive out of town? I mean, getting out of the car is an unnecessary risk. This has been clearly stated. All I have to do is drive to my location, and then drive back. Anything else is just a huge distraction. But I'm seized, as always, by curiosity. So I am going to have to go and investigate the sound of the shotgun, despite knowing full well that this is a very stupid idea. Because I have to know. I have to know what was making that that shotgun sound, other than an actual shotgun, obviously. So let's go and investigate. You run across the road and press yourself against the wall of the building, half expecting another shot to ring out. Your heart beats fast as you creep forward, slowly, to the corner of the building and look round. There is nobody in sight down the narrow street. You take one step around the corner and then a voice shouts out, "Okay, that's far enough. One more step and you'll be full of holes. Where are you from? You want to reply that you are from New Hope or reply that you are a lone road warrior living nowhere in particular? I'm going to tell him that I'm from New Hope. A man suddenly appears out of a doorway and walks towards you with a shotgun pointed at you. He looks at you sternly and says, That's where I'm heading. Been cycling for over a week since my station wagon was ambushed and my wife and son were killed. Stopped here to get some cans of food from a supermarket back there when some crazy dogs attacked me shot one and the others ran off. My name's Johnson, pleased to meet you. He puts down his shotgun and extends his hand for you to shake. He tells you that he is a builder by trade and asks you how much further it is to New Hope and whether he is likely to be let in. You reply it is only another 15 kilometres and his chances are good they need skilled people. You also tell him about your mission and he warns you not to stop at Joe's Garage which is about eight kilometres out of town. They ain't got no petrol, they just rob people who stop there. You thank Johnson for the advice, wish him luck and walk back to your interceptor. Its powerful engine roars into life when you turn the ignition key and you screech off once again. Well, that worked out pretty well. I have to say, watching quite a lot of The Walking Dead means that I am, in some ways, desperately suspicious of everyone, but uh, yeah, happily, that one worked out okay. You are soon out of town, zigzagging around wrecked cars and fallen trees along the road. Further ahead, you can see that the road joins the main highway south. There is a small filling station at the junction named Joe's Garage. You stop as you are intrigued by the hot rod parked around the side, looking clean and in running condition. A young girl suddenly comes out of the office wearing a t-shirt and blue jeans. She smiles and says, Hi, can I help you? Do you wish to talk to her or would you rather drive... Up onto the highway. Well, we were warned by Johnson that this young lady who is, I would say adequately depicted in a facing illustration, is up to no good, so we will drive up onto the highway. Despite the hazard of having to avoid abandoned cars, the highway is wide enough for you to gather plenty of speed. It's exciting to drive so freely without being without fear of being hauled in by the police for violating some traffic regulation or other. You smile as your speed reaches one hundred and ninety kilometers per hour. But your joy is short lived. You suddenly see a red chevrolet, heavily reinforced with steel plating coming straight towards you. Someone is sitting in a small turret on the roof. A machine gunner. There is a picture of the machine gunner. It's got a uh what looks to be some kind of M sixteen style assault rifle. What looks a bit like karate clothes. It is a uh, an odd look, but I guess though in the post-apocalypse we all have to find our own style. You think to yourself that maybe having to deal with the police in the old days wasn't so bad compared to what is coming at you now, by which we can assume that the implied protagonist of this story is probably white. You breathe in deeply and get ready to press the machine gun fire button. The red Chevy has a firepower of eight and an armour of fifteen, so for the first time, I'm going to roll some car-based dice. I have destroyed the red Chevy and my car took three points of damage in the fight, meaning that I guess the paintwork has been slightly chipped. Rolling a d6 for damage definitely makes the combat feel a little bit more dynamic, a little bit more exciting. Uh, I think that's a really nice little addition to the combat system. You stop your interceptor to examine the burning wreck. Who were these people and why did they attack you without warning? You shake your head and hit the accelerator, eager to reach your destination. You are passing a security truck and thinking about all the money inside it which is now useless when suddenly a voice comes through on your radio above the crackling static. It is one of New Hope's leaders. She tells you how a gang of bikers have just attacked New Hope, killing eight people in the process. After a short battle, they were eventually beaten off. (laughs) She warns you to be on the lookout for them as they have kidnapped Sinclair, the council leader. Ooh, submission. Spicy. You acknowledge the message and say goodbye. After an hour or so of driving without any further incident, you notice that your petrol gauge is dropping. The interceptor is very heavy on fuel. You stop and pour the contents of the fuel canister into the tank, realising you will have to find some more petrol soon tragedy of driving an American vehicle. Realistically, they should have tricked out a Peugeot 105 with armour and guns and that. They've got much better mileage. A few kilometres further and you know your luck has really run out. There must have been a car crash at the time of the disaster which caused a huge tailback of now abandoned cars. It is impossible to continue along the highway. You reverse back to the last exit and drive off. You must decide which way to head along the road which crosses over it. Do you want to go east or west? Um, It's doing quite a good job of painting a post-apocalyptic landscape in a very simple way. These are all really familiar images. I think, again, I've seen exactly that image in The Walking Dead. So, yeah, classic stuff. In terms of this decision, I think... I'm going to follow the sage advice of the pet shop boys and go west. The road heads directly west and you are able to travel along it quickly as it is relatively free of obstacles. However, your easy drive is short-lived. The road comes to a river which it used to cross, but the drawbridge which spans the river is partly open, stopping you from driving across it. You judge that if you drive over it at about 180 kilometers per hour, the momentum should carry the interceptor across the gap to the far side. But then again, it might not. Do you wish to try and drive across the bridge or turn around and drive east? I'm going to try and drive over the bridge because this is unfathomably cool. You reverse your car to give yourself a long enough run up to the bridge. You tense slightly and the adrenaline starts to flow through your veins. The engine roars as you pump the accelerator, and then you suddenly release the clutch and screech away towards the bridge. You hit the bridge at 120 kilometers per hour, and watch the dial rise to 130 as the front wheels leave the ground. Test your skill. I get an 8, which is plenty lower than my skill of 11, so we have succeeded. The wheels slam down on the far side of the bridge, and you have to struggle with the steering wheel to keep the interceptor going in a straight line. You are across the bridge but travelling at high speed towards an overturned truck. Test your skill again. Eleven equal to my skill. You manage to control the speeding interceptor and swerve round the overturned truck. This is very exciting. You drive off the bridge, heading west again. You soon come to a T junction which offers you a choice of roads. Do you wish to drive west or would you rather drive south? I can't remember off the top of my head where. I'm supposed to be going. San Anglo. I'm guessing that's in the south. So I guess I would would drive south to get there. So we'll go south. We'll go south. The country road runs straight ahead far into the distance and you are able to make good headway as it is relatively free from abandoned cars. But after an hour's driving at high speed, the road finally ends at a T-junction. Do you wish to turn left? Or do you wish to turn right? Now, if I'm travelling south... Which way is east and which way is west? I think I want to go right. It's right west? I want to go west. I want to keep going west in accordance with the diktat of the pet shop boys. I, I think right is west when you're facing south. You continue to make good headway along the country roads. The untended fields on both sides of the road have grown wild and you wonder how long it will be before they are farmed again. The road soon ends at a T-junction, and you decide to turn left to head south towards San Anglo. The road cuts through overgrown fields, but there are no obstructions on the road. You check your milometer to see how far you have come, and see that the petrol gauge is reading empty again. Have you picked up a full fuel canister recently? I have not. A few kilometres further down the road, the engine starts to cough and splutter. Finally, it jerks to a halt, and your worst fears are realised. You have run out of petrol. There are no buildings and no signs of life, and you realise that your mission is over. You have failed, and must get back to new hope on foot, perhaps to try and reach San Anglo another time. You lied to me, the pet shop boys. You lied to me. I mean, it's a bit early in the day to jack it in, and I was just going really into it, so I guess we'll go back to a previous location. My big error, I think, there was failing to realise that I was going to run out of petrol, even though the book had told me that I was going to run out of petrol. But in my defence, I got proper into it, and I was just really excited by all the post-apocalyptic car-based shenanigans that were going on, and so i completely forgotten my entire mission. Invoking the sausage-fingered bookmark rule, we'll go back to the highway and we will go east. So we've just destroyed the red Chevrolet We're before we jump over the bridge. We're ignoring that bit and we're taking the east road. You pass an ambulance parked off the road to your right but see no sign of life. Do you wish to stop to investigate the ambulance? I surely do because maybe it'll have some fuel I can nick. You park your interceptor and walk back to the ambulance. The driver's cab is empty, although the ambulance looks as if it has been driven quite recently. I don't know cars. What does that... How does that work? How do you know that it's been driven recently when you look at it? Is it just because there's not dust on it? Would you like to open the rear door to look inside the ambulance, or rather get in the interceptor and head east? I will look inside at the ambulance. You turn the handle and pull. An explosion, accompanied by a brilliant white flash, and a deafening noise sends you reeling backwards. The door was booby-trapped. Roll one die and deduct the number from your stamina score. Really, I'm doing exceptionally well. Three. Taking my stamina down to eighteen. The door hangs off its hinges, but there is nothing inside the ambulance. Its owner will probably be on his way back to see who he has caught. You feel too weak to reach the interceptor and decide to crawl into hiding you want to hide in the grass or under the ambulance? I think I'll hide in the grass. You crawl painfully into the tall grass and wait. Soon you hear a noise of approaching footsteps. Through the grass you see a scruffy man, gun in hand, standing only a few metres away. A cigar hangs out of the corner of his mouth, and around his head is tied a red headband. I feel like a year after the apocalypse, all of the tobacco products will have been well and truly smoked. I used to smoke. And had the apocalypse happened in the mid-90s, yeah, I'd have been out desperately trying to ensure a supply of cigarettes. The scruffy man is obviously the one who set the booby trap. Suddenly, he sees your trail of blood leading into the grass. He turns and fires blindly. Test your luck. First luck test. I am lucky. So luck now down to 11. The bullet thuds into the ground only a metre away. You immediately sit up and return fire. The Highwayman has a skill of 8 and a stamina of 12. Resolve the combat using the shooting rules, but reduce your skill by 1 for the duration of the fight because of your injury, and reduce your skill permanently by 1 point if you are shot more than once, but survive. So with that in mind, I'm going to get my 6 shooter out, and for the first time, roll some dice to shoot someone in the face a couple of times. (laughs) Okay, I have killed the less than dandy highwayman. It was all going really, really well. I've got him down to two hit points without taking a single bit of damage myself, and then he shot me four times in a row, which means I've lost a point of skill permanently, taking my skill down to 10, and he reduced me to nine stamina. I've patched myself up with a couple of med kits. Can't help but feel a sausage roll would have been more efficacious, but hey... Medkits is what we've got, and I am ready to continue my adventure, albeit limping and seriously injured. You search through the dead man's pockets and find 150 credits and a pair of knuckle thusters. You pocket your findings, and when you feel strong enough, limp back to your interceptor, wondering how long your medkit will last. You turn the ignition key and burn up the road, heading east. So, I am reasonably rich, and I have some brass knuckles. You flash past a road sign which shows a turning to the south immediately ahead. Do you wish to drive south, or would you rather keep cruising east? Well, I guess I will try turning south again. One of those ones where some kind of contextual hint would have maybe been nice as to which one is more likely to provide fuel. Could I see, like, lots of cars one way that I could maybe siphon the tanks off? But, hey, it's it's a fighting vanity book you're always going to get a certain amount of arbitrary decision-making to have to do, so we are going south. A few miles down the road, you come to a small, crudely constructed wooden bridge which crosses a narrow river. There is a sign nailed to the bridge warning you not to cross the river. Do you want to drive across regardless, or would you rather turn around and drive back to the last junction? Private property keep out, the sign says in the facing illustration. Pretty lazy illustration, if I'm honest. Doesn't look like it took a long time. So I'm private property. Well, I guess I'm going to travel back to the last junction, far be it from me, to trespass upon someone's private property, particularly not when they've marked it as these people have with a skull and crossbones. So let's go back to the junction. You are soon back at the T-junction and stop to decide which way to head. Do you wish to turn right or turn left to head west? Uh, we will go west. The road is open and wrecked cars are an infrequent hazard. The speedometer reads well above the maximum speed limit that used to control the road, but you know there is no chance of getting a speeding ticket now. Your enjoyment, however, is short-lived. A roadblock of upturned cars and trucks comes into view. You slow down and survey the scene, sensing danger. Do you want to fire a rocket at the roadblock? Try and drive round the roadblock, or turn around and drive back to the last junction and head south? Well, I've been itching to make use of these rockets. Given how the adventure's been going so far, I think I'm just going to shoot a rocket at the roadblock. Reaching forward, you press the rocket launcher button on the control panel. The interceptor shakes as the rocket is fired, and the explosion which follows immediately is loud and blinding. When the smoke clears, you can see the roadblock no longer exists. There's a nice picture of the explosion. It's pretty good. Suddenly you hear the roar of a motorcycle engine starting up and see two leather-clad armed riders appear from behind a bush and blaze up the road through a hole in the roadblock. The passenger turns and fires a warning shot at you as the bike races away. Do you wish to drive after them or let them get away? Are these the ones that kidnapped the leader of New Hope? I think I'll have to chase after them on the off chance that they are because no one can be allowed to harm our precious, precious politicians. How will our community survive without a politician in charge? Before you have time to catch them, they turn around and drive straight towards you. The machine gun above the headlamp blazes red and white as it spits bullets at you. You press the accelerator down hard on the floor and race the interceptor towards them, your finger clutching the machine gun trigger. This is very excitingly written. I'm really enjoying it. I'm getting very sucked into this post-apocalyptic world. Uh, The motorcycle has a firepower of six and an armour of nine. I'm going to gun it down like a dog by rolling some dice. I have destroyed the motorcycle. You walk over to the wrecked bike, carrying your revolver in one hand and the med kit in the other. One of the men is dead, the other is barely alive. You kick his pistol away from him and see if he can be saved. He opens his eyes, smiles and says... (laughs) Fat Jack and the boys will get you for this. And he slumps back and is still. Your medkit cannot help him. You check the bike over and notice a locked side paneer. Would you like to open the paneer or just head off east without wasting any more time? I'm going to open the paneer because obviously I'm going to open the paneer. You fire at the lock on the paneer. Three shots and it is open. Inside, you find a pair of handcuffs, a map, and two hundred credits. After putting the handcuffs and credits in your jacket pocket, you look at the map. There is a red circle drawn around New Hope. Obviously, these men came from the same gang that attacked New Hope. A small town named Rockville is marked with a red cross, and it is not too far southeast from where you are now. No doubt it is the temporary home of the bikers. You decide to change the wheel on your interceptor before any of the bikers' friends arrive bit random, fortunately, the wheel hub is not damaged, and you are able to fit the spare wheel quite quickly. I'll just check back, and it does not actually mention our wheel getting damaged at all, so that's a bit weird, but hey ho, we've got spare wheels, so I guess we'll just roll with it. You are soon charging down the road, shaking your head at the mad world you are forced to live in. You soon arrive at another signpost which points down a narrow dirt track towards a town called Rockville. Do you wish to drive to Rockville or keep heading east? We will go to Rockville. The dirt track is rough and bumpy, and you realise that people for miles around will see the dust that the speeding interceptor is throwing up. Nevertheless, you are determined to reach Rockville. Suddenly you see a blinding flash on top of a boulder in the distance. Test your luck. I am lucky. Luck now reduced to ten. Somebody has fired a bazooka at you, but the shell explodes harmlessly a few metres to your left. You press down on the accelerator, steering your interceptor towards the attackers, but before you can reach them, they jump onto motorbikes and race off. Do you wish to chase them or reverse? Drive down the road and turn right to head east. Uh, chase them, I guess. The bikes are suited to driving along the dirt track and you are unable to catch up with them. In the distance, you see a cluster of houses, which must be Rockville. The bikes drive straight towards the houses and disappear from view. As you get closer, you hear the sound of gunfire, which seems to be coming from the nearest farmhouse. And there is a very, very lazy picture of some farm buildings. Just a couple of rectangles, a couple of triangles, job done. Uh, do we want to fire a rocket at the farmhouse, keep on driving towards the houses, or reverse? I mean, I though I am to imperil the life of... The man who sits on all the important committees, who may well be trapped in the the farmhouse, I do still also want to blow things up with my rocket. And I want to blow things up with my rocket more than anything, so that's what I'm going to do. The farmhouse is an easy target, and the rocket does not miss. The explosion destroys the farmhouse, sending fragments of brick and wood flying through the air. When the dust has settled, you drive cautiously ahead, one finger against the machine gun trigger. You stop alongside the burning farmhouse but see no signs of life. You turn off the engine and wind down the window of the interceptor. You hear the desperate cry of a man calling for help. Do you want to investigate or drive south out of the town? I guess I'm going to have to investigate because I still need to find some fuel. I feel like I've kind of grasped how this book is structured in a way. There's a kind of fuel check, I think, automatically to the south of this, this area. And that tells me that I need to explore the area. You walk over to the sound of the cry for help and find it is coming from inside a shack attached to the general store. You ask who is inside the shack. It's Sinclair, New Hope's council leader. Oh, phew. Finally, they will be quarrelled once again. You search round and find an iron bar to prize open the lock on the door. Soon, Sinclair is free. Add one luck point. You know, who says politicians never do anything for you? Luck now to 11. Sinclair tells you about the raid on New Hope and his kidnapping. He asks you to radio to New Hope and tell them that you will return by motorbike as soon as possible. There are two bikes parked in front of the General Store, of which he chooses the old Harley Davidson. Once again, someone choosing the conveyance with the worst possible miles per gallon. Thanking you for your help, he waves goodbye and roars off north. You ought to search the General Store, the house, or drive off south. General store, please. Inside the general store, you find a can of meat, which you greedily devour, having not eaten such a rare delicacy for a long time. Notice that I haven't named the meat. Add two stamina points. Yeah. Stamina now, 19. More important, you find a full canister of petrol, which you stow inside the interceptor. Get in. That's what we were looking for. That's what we were after. If you've not done so already, you may search the nearest house, or would you rather drive off south? Let's search the nearest house. I'm in a searchy, kinder mood. You open the front door of the house and step inside. Leading off the hallway, there are two doors facing each other. Do you want to open the door on the left or the door on the right? Uh, left. Always go left if there's an option. The door opens into a room that has recently been occupied. There are unfinished cups of coffee on the table and the front wheel of a motorcycle propped up against the wall, its inner tube lying on the floor. Someone was obviously in the process of mending a puncture. There's a tool kit on the table, inside which you find a pair of heavy-duty wire cutters which you decide to take with you. If you've not already done so, you can open the door to the room opposite or leave the house. Wire cutters, eh? Uh, We will look at the room opposite. (laughs) Opening the door trips a wire, which is pulled taut around the trigger of a crossbow in the far wall. The bolt is unleashed from the bow and thuds into your shoulder. Roll one die and deduct the number from your stamina. Got greedy. I got greedy. One stamina point. That's a bit of good news. Down to 18. So half a meat tin's worth of damage, apparently. I knew I was getting greedy. It's like the code of fighting fantasy that in any sort of small enclosed area, there's going to be a good room and a bad room. After attending to your wound, you find that there is nothing apart from rubbish and broken furniture in the room. It was merely booby-trapped to deter intruders. Lose one luck point. Uh, well, easy come, easy go. So back down to ten luck. We've come out of this as stamina point ahead. We're We're still winning. We're still winning. Just. Time to leave this house. If you've not done so already, you may search the general store, otherwise drive south. I will drive south. The dirt track twists and turns through the open countryside, but at last you come to a T-junction, where the dirt track is crossed by a good road. You look down at both ways, but do not see any vehicles or signs of life. Do you wish to head east or west? Uh, do I want to go west? I mean, I've got the fuel now, so I guess I can continue to obey The commandment of the pet shop boys to go west, so I will I will do that. You drive a long way west, passing only one junction on your right, a narrow road leading north. At last you come to a T junction where you can turn left in order to drive south towards San Anglo. The road cuts through overgrown fields, but there are no obstructions on the road. You check your milometer to see how far you have come, and see that the petrol gauge is reading empty again. Have you picked up a full fuel canister recently? I have. You stop the car and get out to empty the fuel canister into the petrol tank. The canister does not hold much petrol, and you realise you'll have to be on the lookout for more if you hope to reach San Anglo. By the time you set off again, it is early evening, and you watch the setting sun through the right hand window. Soon, it will be dark. And there is a new decision to make drive off the road and sleep inside the interceptor, find a building to spend the night inside, or drive on through the night. Well, Safety first. No night driving. Not without at least some cheap speed to keep us sharp. So I guess we drive off the road and sleep inside the interceptor. That seems the most reasonable. You pull off the road and park the interceptor behind a low wall. When you turn off the engine you notice how deathly quiet it is. I wonder if anyone heard you stop. You eat your food quickly but wait until it is completely dark before settling down to sleep. In the morning, you wake early, feeling refreshed. Add two stamina points. You start up the interceptor, and are soon heading south. Stamina now back up to 20. The countryside is picturesque in the early morning light, but you are unaware of the dangers ahead. The road has been mined by country outlaws, waiting to rob anyone passing through. Roll one die. One to three. One thing happens. Four to six. Something else happens. So we get a... One. Seems bad, Let's find out what occurs. Suddenly, there is a deafening explosion and the Interceptor is blown sideways by the force of a detonated mine. Roll two dice and deduct the total from the Interceptor's armour. Five. alright. Interceptor armour is now 26. That could have been a lot worse. You try to restart your stalled engine to get away before the Outlaws arrive to see what they had captured. Test your luck. Seven. I am lucky, but my luck is now down to nine. Fortunately, the engine was not damaged by the explosion and it starts up straight away. You drive off hastily, lucky to have survived. As the morning wears on, it becomes very hot, and the further south you travel, you notice a change in the vegetation. The overgrown fields turn into scrubland, and it won't be long before you are driving across the desert. A few miles further down the road, you arrive at a major junction. You want to head left and go east, or would you rather keep driving south? Well, with apologies to the pet shop boys, I'm going to go east. That is literally the last thing they want me to do. Got to keep searching through this area looking for more fuel. You travel about 80 kilometres before the road ends at a T-junction. You decide to turn right in the direction of San Anglo. You approach a railway bridge that you must pass under, but you do not see the laughing man on top of it. A stone pillar teeters on the edge of the parapet, held from falling by the man. As he sees you drive towards the bridge, he giggles like a child and releases the pillar. It crashes down on the road, directly in front of the interceptor. Test your skill. (sighs) Seven. Yep, well under my skill of ten. You swerve sharply to the left, narrowly missing the stone pillar and pass under the bridge. Do you want to stop and deal with your attacker, or keep driving south? Well, I'm going to go and give him a piece of my mind, is what I'm going to do. Also, possibly, some bullets from my gun. With revolver in hand, you jump out of the interceptor and climb warily up the railway embankment. When you reach the top, you look towards the bridge and see your attacker grab a bag from out of the caravan abandoned there. He jumps on a motorbike and roars off east, away from you. You wish to look inside the caravan, or would you rather return quickly to the interceptor to continue the journey? There is a picture of the man, and it's pretty good. Pretty good. And he's wearing leather. He looks a little bit like evil Knievel, I have to say, uh, but you know, actually evil what with the trying to smash us to pieces with bits of masonry. But we're going to be looking inside the caravan in the vague hope that there's some fuel. You climb the steps into the caravan, and after a rapid search through the cupboards, you discover a can of corned beef and a grenade. More explodey things, that makes me happy. You put the grenade in your pocket and decide to eat the corned beef, there and then as you are feeling very hungry. Add two stamina points, taking my stamina to maximum Ah, the healing power of corned beef. So much better than bandages. Realising that you are not likely to see your attacker again, you return to the interceptor and head south. It is not long before the green vegetation gives way to more barren terrain with tufts of dry grass dotted on top of the stony brown earth. You are soon at a major intersection on the edge of the desert. You stop at the crossroads and see that the road heading east is blocked with abandoned cars. you want to drive south into the desert or turn right and head west? Well, We still need to find some more fuel. I'm guessing there's going to be another fuel check if we go south. So we will go west. You drive along the edge of the desert for about 80 kilometres until the road ends at a T-junction. You decide to turn left and head south into the desert towards San Anglo. Not the most meaningful decision ever. The landscape turns to a reddish-brown as you drive further into the desert. The road runs south straight as an arrow and is virtually clear of abandoned cars. As you drive along... Something you recognise catches your eye. It is an overturned interceptor, which must have veered off the road and rolled over after its driver died at the wheel. Do you want to stop to see if there's any spares worth taking? I surely do. There's a yeah, adequate picture of an overturned interceptor, I would say. Looks as though it's still got one tyre I might be able to half inch. There is one wheel in reasonable condition, as the picture demonstrated. The tyre is flat, but can easily be inflated again with a can of flat you fix. Does not take long to remove the wheel and store it inside your car. Brilliant. Do you wish to look inside the crashed car? Um, again, I feel like looking inside the car would be pushing my luck at this point. So I will continue my journey south. In your rearview mirror, you see a motorbike and sidecar steadily closing up on you. The passenger is holding a machine gun mounted on the nose of the sidecar. He reminds you of early pilots with his goggles and a leather flying cap. Both men are wearing black scarves over their mouths to keep the wind-blown sand out of their lungs. There is a picture, which is basically accurate, with the exception that you can see the chap in the sidecar. He's painted a skull and crossbones on the front of his sidecar, because of course he has. Uh But he's not wearing a scarf, and he's wearing a full visored motorcycle helmet, probably because that's easier to paint than an old-style leather flying cap and goggles. And this guy... This artist seems to have preferred to to take the easy route wherever possible. When they are no more than 50 metres behind you, they signal their intention by firing a burst from the machine gun at the interceptor. Lose one armour point. Down to 25 armour. So we can drop a canister of iron spikes, release an oil spray, or return fire with the machine guns. Well, this sounds like a brilliant opportunity to use the old iron spikes. So that's what I'm going to do nice to get through the gadget. You press the release button on the dashboard and watch the canister bounce along the road behind you. Suddenly bursts open, scattering the pointed iron spikes all over the road. Well, one die. One to four, one thing happens. Five to six, another thing happens. We get a six. That sounds good. The motorbike rider somehow manages to steer the vehicle around the spikes and the passenger opens fire again. You decide to return fire with the interceptor's machine gun, although the swerving target is difficult to hit. The motorbike and sidecar has a firepower of 9, it's quite high, and an armor of 8, so let's roll some dice. I have one, very handily, no damage to my interceptor. Two passes was all that was required. I guess they sort of look like they're jousting. I guess that's how car combat is supposed to be visualized in this environment that you just sort of drive at each other firing your machine guns and then when you've gone past you sort of pull a handbrake turn and do it again. Fearing that the two bikers might be part of a gang, you drive off south straight away in case the other members appear. You should always watch out for suddenly appearing members. The kilometres roll by and the petrol gauge is reading almost empty again. Are you carrying a full tin of petrol inside the interceptor? I am not... A few kilometres further down the road, the engine starts to cough and splutter. Finally, it jerks to a halt and your worst fears are realised. You have run out of petrol. Surely the most exciting possible way to end an adventure. There are no buildings and no signs of life and you realise that your mission is over. You have failed and must get back to New Hope on foot, perhaps, to try and reach San Anglo another time. So there is a doubly abortive playthrough of Freeway Fighter, I will be back in a few moments with some closing remarks. Well, I had a lot of fun with Freeway Fighter and I hope you did too. It's definitely a book I'd recommend picking up and playing through if you haven't already. It's been reprinted a bunch of times. There's plenty of copies available and it doesn't tend to cost that much money. This was one of my favourite fighting fantasy books. I absolutely loved it as a child. My parents were quite down on violent entertainment, for the under-10s at least, and so I was never allowed to watch the A-Team as a small boy. Now that would have been fine, except apparently the other local parents didn't care to the same degree, so all my compatriots from school would be enthusiastically describing the latest episode which almost always seemed to involve turning a car into some kind of improvised tank. Now, I found these childish descriptions utterly fascinating, and as someone with a rich inner life, I constructed my own version of the A-Team in my head from a mixture of these incoherent accounts and the action figures in the Argos catalogue, and, of course, my own febrile imagination. I was particularly fascinated by the idea of vehicular combat for some reason, possibly because I was otherwise profoundly disinterested in cars, unlike my brother. It seemed to me, it still seems to me, that a car is a very dull item, and that strapping machine guns to one would do a great deal by way of enhancing its intrinsic appeal. Therefore, Freeway Fighter was right up my young street. It had a slightly forbidden veneer to it, which I think actually enhanced my enjoyment. My parents were much less concerned about what I read, because I was dyslexic and getting me reading at all was a net good regardless of the content. It's perhaps not surprising then that I got really sucked into this playthrough. It's a classic Ian Livingstone in terms of serving up encounters that feel totally appropriate to the setting. It's one of the things he does supremely well, constructing his environments in such a way that they feel immersive and internally consistent. His stuff always has a strong tone running through it, and Freeway Fighter is a fantastic example of that. Whether you're jumping a car over a bridge or crawling to the long grass to hide from a murderous highwayman, the whole book feels immensely cinematic to me. Unsurprising because it's drawing so heavily on Mad Max and Mad Max 2 for its inspiration. Now, the artwork is something of a mixed bag. Kevin Bulmer uh, sadly died in 2011 was an early contributor to White Dwarf, and did a lot of work on video games in the 1980s and beyond. Clearly extremely talented, and some of the character work in Freeway Fighter is really good. There's a very nice balance between comic-style exaggeration and something more grounded. Now buildings, he's much less good at, and even less good at background environments, or perhaps simply less motivated. His bold black lining and simple shading looks really good on people, but makes locations kind of flat and lifeless. There's probably more good than bad art in this book, so on balance, I think I'm going to come down in favour of the work he did. Now, I arguably got too absorbed in the world on this playthrough. I made some very questionable decisions because they felt like what my character would do, rather than because they offered the best chance of finishing the game. I never really explored as much as I should have because I was seduced by the images which some of the choices suggested. It's powerfully evocative and did a fine job of drawing me into this post-apocalyptic landscape. If there's one thing I learned on this playthrough, it's that I really like blowing things up. Having access to a rocket launcher is way more power than you usually get in a fighting fantasy book and I definitely got a bit too excited by the destructive scope it represented. It's a world away from the usual broadsword and leather armour with maybe a magic ring or something to help out a bit, and I love it. It's made me want to play some kind of gently unhinged demolitions expert in a post-apocalyptic game. Not a wacky problem character or anything, just someone with a stack of dynamite who tends to see every problem the same way that the British Transport Police look at suspicious packages at a train station. I also love the way the Dodge Interceptor is tricked out. It's a proper power fantasy, and basing it on a recognizably classic sports car. That's typical attention to detail from Ian Livingstone. A dodge interceptor looks pretty cool even before you start strapping munitions to it. Another classic Ian Livingstone trope is to use fights to generate atmosphere. The fights in Freeway Fighter feel more high stakes because of the random damage. Variable damage creates additional tension, and that's something that the very simple combat system benefits from. Sadly, we didn't get to do any bare knuckle boxing in this playthrough, but there's an additional tension there by giving both participants effectively the same stamina of six. These are all minor changes, but they give more depth and they help that sense of immersion. I like the mixture of gunfights and vehicle combat, that's really well judged. Livingstone is so good at differentiating fights in small ways to make them seem much more difficult than they actually are. So we get to fight a Chevy a bike, a bike and a sidecar, and all of those were described differently and all felt completely part of the same world. I think a post-apocalyptic setting is a good fit for fighting fantasy on the whole because it has a lot of familiar elements from the real world, but at the same time you can constrain the player's choices. It's got a wilderness quality to it, very similar to classic fighting fantasy books. Various road warriors and thugs really neatly mirroring the wandering monsters you might find somewhere on the world of Titan. What you don't have is the problem of the huge range of choices that other science fiction settings suggest. You don't have to worry about phones and planes or authorities, and the lack of population density is a huge bonus for creating a set of structured set pieces if i do have a bone to pick with Way fighter it's the issue of running out of petrol it's a sensible choice in many ways but it does feel like an anticlimactic end to a story especially the second time around i get that it fits the world and it has that realistic tone that he's striving for but it's really deflating to be told you're going to have to walk home when i think of great fighting fantasy denouements i don't tend to think of the experience of having missed the last bus home Aside from that, the structure makes a lot of sense. You've got the adventure chopped into mini-sections on a linear path, very similar to the structure of Forest of Doom or City of Thieves. You explore east or west in each mini-section, looking for fuel before going south once you've found it. And it is nice to have a much shorter shopping list rather than the typical Ian Livingstone scavenger hunt for 120 different magical items. I also like having the item checks when you leave the section, rather than having one big check out at the end, if you will. Uh, that makes backtracking and mapping a bit easier. This is a fondly remembered fighting fantasy book, complete with its own spin-off comic, no less, and it's easy to see why. It's the first genuinely good science fiction story in the canon. It has strong mechanics, a wonderful setting, a nice simple quest, and still a couple of decent plot twists along the way to make it more interesting. It's a superb showcase for the talents of the author. I didn't beat it on this playthrough, but I think someone paying more attention could easily complete it on an early playthrough. I don't think it's that difficult. Ian Livingstone sometimes makes his books needlessly harsh, but this feels like it has a good balance and for once he isn't throwing endless very hard fights at you while demanding you collect twenty different magic doohickeys. So that's it for Freeway Fighter. As I said at the start, I'm hoping to do a bonus episode later this month, so I hope you'll join me for that. If you've enjoyed this podcast, why not tell a friend about it so they can enjoy it too? You can get in touch with me by emailing hjdoom, RetroFun all one word at com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you soon.